welcome to On and Off, our podcast covering the on-premise and off-premise beverage alcohol industry. I'm Melissa Dowling, editor of Cheers. And I'm Kyle Swartz, editor of Beverage Dynamics Magazine. Today, we're going to be talking with Brian Warner, associate professor at the College of Hospitality Management at Johnson & Wales University in Providence, Rhode Island. Brian is also the director of the university's new Center for Beverage Education and Innovation, which opened in late 2022. Welcome, Brian, and thank you for joining us. Thanks, Melissa. It's, uh, it's a real pleasure to be with you. Great. So before we get into talking about the next generation of beverage professionals and their various opportunities and challenges, can you tell us a little bit more about the Center for Beverage Education and Innovation and your role there? Yeah, I sure can. So I have been a director since May of 2023 and really have been on uh, full-time since the beginning of the fall 2023 academic term. So it's it's really been a, a relatively short time. There's a couple of things that we've absolutely positively learned. The Center for Beverage Education and Innovation is an absolute mouthful. And so we call it the Beverage Center, right? So that's, uh, that's the, so it would have been good even, to know before. No, sorry, I was going to end this podcast by asking Melissa to do it three times fast. <laughs> so, so, uh, so it's a very academic sounding name and, uh, you know, everything in academics kind of has to be, uh, precise and has to describe and whatever. Uh, but you know, when we're out there, we just kind of call it the Beverage Center, you know, simply because it can be, uh, such a word salad for folks. And so, uh, the Beverage Center has been a thing that a variety of folks at Johnson & Wales have uh, dreamt about for, I would say, probably 20 years. So I've been at Johnson & Wales for twice my 23rd, 23rd, hmm. 22nd year uh, full-time, and, and we really have been talking about some kind of a beverage center like this for a really long time, and different iterations, I think, were... Uh, maybe not quite as easy to get off the ground and maybe not quite as uh, attractive, you know, for the different constituent groups that, you know, we're, we're trying to service. So a, a couple of, of other faculty members and I got together, there was a push to do this. We got together, we wrote a white paper and we tried to make something that we thought both our internal constituent group and, and the external industry could benefit from. And so the beverage industry really, uh, so the beverage center really is an effort to connect what I, I think we kind of always have done at Johnson Wales, but maybe haven't gotten great publicity with the needs of, of the industry. We're, we're hoping very much that it's a benefit to both, that, that uh, benefits come in both directions, right? We're not out there uh, asking folks for uh, donations exclusively, we're asking that we create real partnership. Yeah, absolutely. What are some of the areas that your students are most excited about studying now? So Kyle, we uh, I would say that, again, uh, in 22 years, I would say that the focus on the interest of students uh, focuses, just like young people, much more on spirits and cocktails, right? So uh, we were very much a wine-centric faculty. A lot of that had to do with, you know, the really outstanding folks who 
led beverage education at Johnson Oils and who were giants, uh, frankly, in the wine segment of the industry. But as time has gone on and wine has become still important, but uh, not exclusive, right? In the beverage industry, it's become like, I remember when I started teaching, if you were interested in making cocktails, you weren't serious, right? Only serious people were in the wine industry, the wine side of the business. So that has obviously changed as time has gone on. Beer obviously has become a lot more serious than it was when I started. And I think that students have come along with that, with those interests. And so we have many more students who are interested in, say, the brewing arts, right? We have a program in the brewing arts. We have a study abroad program where our students have the opportunity to go to England and participate in a brewing program. I'll give you just a quick story. We're currently gearing up for a student competition called Sharkfest. Sharkfest is run by our College of Business, and it is for you know young entrepreneurs to make a pitch and win some support and, and maybe even some seed money for their business. So we have a, a junior that we're working with in the Beverage Center who would like to start a meadery once he graduates. And so... The cool thing is Jennifer Pereira, who runs our brewing arts program and takes those students abroad, has a small brewing facility right on campus. And so he's actually making mead in the classroom uh, and is able to bring that mead to the competition and showcase that as part of his business plan. To circle back around, Kyle, to the question... Um, I would say that students are way more interested in cocktails and spirits than they had been previously. I would say that they're less interested in wine, but only as an exclusive interest, if that makes sense. Like they're still into wine. They're just not only into wine. Um, although again, some students maybe are. And, and I would say on the brewing side of it, uh, it's much more about production than anything else. And the nice thing is at at the university, we're able to, you know, support any of those interests that young people have. Is there any concern about young people going into careers in wine, considering it seems like younger folks are not drinking wine as much as perhaps their parents' generation? So I would say no, um, I guess. I, I'm sorry I hesitated there, but I think that, again, students seem to be a lot more interested in the beverages in general, right? They They seem to be more interested in becoming generalists, but... Again, to tell a story, one of our local Relay and Chateau properties, which is having a hard, everybody's having a hard time finding staff. And so uh, the food and beverage director asked, do you have young people who are interested in wine? I'm considering a junior sommelier program. I'd like it to be seasonal, full-time, and this place is... It's on Narragansett Bay, right? So it's on the water in Newport and doing, I don't know what the, the $3 million uh, in wine sales on the lawn overlooking the bay. And, and I'm like, yeah, that seems like an unbelievable experience. And so uh, we started funneling some students there who we thought might be interested and who might benefit. And what we ended up with, and I was even surprised myself, frankly, I've now got three students in the pipeline. All three students are either WSET level three certified or working on their level three certification. All of them have work experience. All of them have done internships. And so I, I guess, Kyle, I would say that 
uh, young people are, I don't know, I, I guess what I would say is that, um, again, 20 years ago, uh, most students were interested in wine and wine exclusively. And now we have maybe more students interested in beverages, but fewer specifically interested in wine. That said, there are tons of opportunities on campus and I think tons of opportunities in the industry. So what career paths are most of the graduates starting out on? It's a great question, Melissa. So again, I, I you know, I feel like sometimes what should be obvious isn't as obvious as it should be. I don't know. Is that I, I don't know how I so so as director of the beverage center, one of the things that I've begun doing is is reaching out to our alumni and trying to put together a cohort of our beverage professionals and say, like, I, this is what we're teaching. We're mostly teaching on-premise. We're mostly teaching production. And where are our graduates ending up? And the the answer is, and this is the thing that I think was was most surprising, is that most of them have ended up in kind of industry jobs, executive level jobs, not C-suite uh, necessarily, but but certainly more in sales and marketing and distribution and production with an entree from the on-premise side, right? And now again, as professionals have come to the university and said, hey, same question that you just asked, tell me what students are interested in, tell me where students are ending up. What we're finding is that experience on premise, that that first kind of five years of their career on premise is so attractive to folks who are looking for salespeople. Do you mind if I tell a story? Is that no, like third one in a very, no, please. Very, very short period of time? So <laughs> an alumnus comes to, uh, I meet an alumnus in Chicago who's working for a distributor and he says to me, do you think... Johnson and Wales students would be interested in coming out to Chicago and participating in my internship program in beverage sales and distribution. And I don't think this is a knock on anything other than what he was getting, but he said, I'm sick of hiring students for these positions from the University of Illinois, Urbana. I think that's correct. And they're marketing students and they're great at marketing and they've they've got all sorts of sales training and not a one of them knows a thing about the beverage industry. And I said to him, I think the difference that you'll find is that our Johnson Oil students know a ton about the beverage industry. And frankly, you know, I, I tell them this, most of them are going to go into the industry uh, with more experience than 90% of the people they're going to encounter in the industry and then be able to build on that. So um, I guess, Melissa, the entry that most of our students take goes right through the front of the house and then ends up eventually, right? Like, I think, you know, the the reality of it is that uh, uh, just like me, right, uh, at some point in your life, you're standing in a dining room at midnight on a Friday and, and you think to yourself, like, there's got to be something else that I could do in the industry. And there ends up being plenty, right, that that people with lots of on-premise experience can do. So that that's that weird. Again, it's a very weird career path, I think, that our unique career path, if not weird, but so many of our graduates are ending up 
in these really cool jobs, right? And then some of them end up as entrepreneurs. You see young people who have ready to drink cocktail companies and breweries and are actually in, in some end of production. Do you think that there's more opportunities today for people looking to get into the alcohol industry? It's a bit of a rhetorical question because obviously I know the industry is doing well, but would you say that there's more opportunities now? I guess. I think that, again, I don't, I don't, like, I don't mean to keep going back to I'm an old man and I've been at this for a long time, <laughs> but I remember trying to get on the bar and uh, I had to wait tables for like four years before anyone would let me anywhere near the bar. That was kind of a thing that you had to pay your dues for. I think that there's there are way more opportunities, uh, especially with, with the uh, training that our students are entering the job market with, uh, way more opportunities for young people to end up on the bar very quickly. And then, like I said, I, I think that those other opportunities exist. I mean, I think that kind of like every industry, it's really hard to find good help, right? And so those jobs are out there. And so you mind if I tell a story? Yeah, right. So um, <laughs> can we so stop I, you? <laughs> oh, I, I, uh, no. Um, so I had I had lunch with a student who's working for a distributor. And he was just like, yeah, I got, I got tired of working in a restaurant. So I'm now a consultant for a food distributor. And I, I just think that good people have almost unlimited opportunities at this point. Well-trained people have almost unlimited opportunities. And I, you know, I have to tell people this, that anytime I go to a, a seminar and somebody says to the crowd, a restaurant or beverage seminar, you understand that the people that you're going to be hiring came to your industry accidentally. And I'm like, yeah, mostly, but not my kids, right? My students all self-selected at 17 or 18. Most of them are working in the business for, you know, at least 10 years. Like you, you look at these young people, I look at them even, and I'm like, what time did they, you know, what, what age did they put you to work? How's it possible that you have this kind of experience, but they do and they love it. And I don't know, uh, again, Kyle, I think the industry is different. There are more opportunities, but I also think that to some extent, our students are unicorns. And so, you know, have their choice at this point, which is awesome. Yeah. I mean, I always say, I think everybody should wait tables in their lives. And most young people did, you know, years ago, and you just don't see that as much. So they don't have that experience, no matter what career they go into, whether it's, you know, sales or marketing, or if you are actually going into the service industry, you know, they have a lot to learn without that experience. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and I do think that, I don't know why this is, but fewer of our students do have that kind of, you know, almost incongruent experience for their age, right? So a lot of our students now look more like more traditional college students. They have internships and maybe they have some part-time work. Whereas again, some of our students have, you know, grown up in their uncle's pizza place and wash dishes and started to cook and then came to college and you know, have been working full time. And I agree with you. I think that that exposure to the industry, I mean, I think it's, it's what students fell in love with, you know, in the, in the past, right. That the addiction to hospitality or service providing service, that's what I loved about 
you know, being in the industry. It's still kind of what I miss. It's what I miss about, yeah. you know, making people happy is, uh, is awesome. Um, unless it's not right. Unless that's not your you thing. Go the other and, way too. Yeah. I mean, right. <laughs> I, uh, I, I save that for home. That's how I'm <laughs> making people miserable. Uh, but I, you know, I, I, so I, I, yeah, I agree with you. I think everybody should wait a table. Uh, my kids have, you know, my wife has, I have, it gives you, I think it just gives you an appreciation for, you know, challenging the industry can be and, and uh, how satisfying it can be to, again, you know, make people happy. Yeah, absolutely. As you look out at the industry uh, today, are there any trends that catch your eye? Well, I, I, uh, I know this isn't a new one, but um, I think the non-alcoholic, low alcohol, non-alcohol is, you know, who knows if it'll stick around, right? So ready to drink was a thing. Hard seltzer was a thing. Now it seems to be non-alcoholic beverages are the thing. I, I think what happens in the beverage industry is we, we, we have these like spikes of trends and then they settle in where they're going to settle in, right? Mm -hmm. So I think... I think the non-alcoholic stuff is is going to settle in. It's going to be part of, right? Like, uh, I, I remember I moderated a panel. And at the time, like hard orange soda, hard root beer was a thing. Yeah. And somebody on the panel was was like, you know, the where this thing will plateau is nowhere, right? It'll be zero. You won't, you won't see it. I don't see hard soda as being a thing. And it wasn't, I mean, who knows? It may come back. It may come back in some form. Maybe hard seltzer is a version of that, but I kind of think that that wasn't going to continue. I kind of think that non-alcoholic is. I think that, I think that young people have, you know, attached themselves to it. And we, we again, see anecdotal evidence of folks going to bars and not wanting to drink and feeling way better about some kind of, you know, non-alcoholic cocktail instead of a ginger ale or diet coke or whatever we hear about people mixing right um one alcoholic beverage one non-alcoholic beverage low abv you know just so that you're not you know losing your mind over the course of uh you know of socializing and uh again not not to you know not to sound like this is a, a commercial for the center but we've got you know we, we, we try to keep up right so like you said maybe wine isn't the be all end all, but the beverage industry is kind of what we're trying to represent. And so we've got some really great partners that we work with at the university. And it's really cool actually to be able to, like we set up bars now for student events and serve non-alcoholic cocktails. We especially have a couple of partners in the ready to drink category who are super, right? We had our freshman orientation back in September, and we had three different partners provide us with non-alcoholic cocktails ready to drink. It was super simple. And the kids loved it, right? The kids really uh, reacted to it. It's a, a lot more interesting than having, um, you know, again, iced tea and, and water out. So um, I think that's a, a big one. I also think uh, ready to drink is, you know, another one that is almost, you know, like I said, almost finding its place, right? I and I think ready to drink non-alcoholic is a, a really interesting combination of the two. If you're not going to be all in on non-alcoholic cocktails, it at least seems to me to make good sense to have a collection of them behind the bar that you can offer your guests if they're not interested in drinking. But 
another anecdote, right? My father-in-law is a like a connoisseur of life. And one of the things that he likes to drink is Campari and soda before a meal. And so he went into a VFW and I, I, I think he asked, like, can I get an Aperol spritz? <laughs> and the bartender looked Did at him. Did he get thrown like out? Had, <laughs> right. Like he had two heads, you know, and I, you know, so I'm sure that the bartender was just a member who mostly is just pulling Bud Light. And the guy says to him, uh, we have a new canned cocktail from Campari. Uh, would you like to try that? And I, I imagine that my father-in-law probably went like 1,001, 1,002, 1,003. I thought I was going to get him with that. But yeah, let's try that Campari and soda. And uh, you know, I, again, I think that that's a, an example of the kinds of uh, the ways that you can expand what it is that you're mm. offering to folks who have become much more interested in expanded options when they go to the bar. Yeah, absolutely. All I was right. at a major brewery recently. Just a real quick to uh, back up your point. I was at one of the largest breweries in Massachusetts recently. And my wife, who's not a beer drinker, ordered a cocktail and she got served a canned cocktail at a world famous craft brewery. I mean, to, absolutely to your point, you're seeing these everywhere now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you, Brian, for joining us and best of luck with this year's students. Thanks, Melissa and Kylie. I uh, appreciate you having me. It's been great. Absolutely. And thank you to all of our listeners out there for listening to another episode of On and Off. Join us next time when we'll be talking about another fascinating topic that expands the retail and restaurant worlds. Until then, cheers. Cheers. If you enjoyed the On and Off podcast, please hit the subscribe button. Also, you can find more great content at cheersonline.com and beveragedynamics.com, including recipes, product reviews, and interviews with the movers and shakers of the beverage alcohol industry. You can also sign up for our free weekly e-newsletter for both publications on our websites. Cheers! Thank you.